Welcome to the benches of OT Occupational therapy Welcome to the benches of OT Occupational therapy OT is the remedy Helping people with daily activity Welcome to the benches of OT Hi everyone and welcome to the Adventures of OT podcast. Today I have the founder of um, Limitless Occupational Therapy Services. Um, Limitless Occupational Therapy Services is a 100% black female owned company which was founded by Miss Liseho Mashishi who is an occupational therapy graduate from the University of Pretoria. Limitless Occupational Therapy Services provides medical legal assessments, functional capacity evaluations, employee wellness and implementation of employee assistance programs, disability management and audits, as well as occupational health risk solutions. They also provide services within the pediatrics field through treating children who present with learning disabilities. So like I said, um, Ms. Liseho Mashishi um, is the founder of this company, um, and she has a number of accolades to her name. Um, not only is she an occupational therapist, but, you know, she has certificates for functional capacity evaluation. Um, she's also um, has a certificate for occupational health and safety. And not only that, um, she's also the vice president of Occupational Therapy um, Association of South Africa, also known as OTASA. Hi, Liseho. Hi, Kanya. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for coming on to this um, show. It's always, it's always a great pleasure to be part of any adventure of OT. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, you know, Liseho, I did some research. The thing I found that we have in common is that, you know, our grandparents played an immense role in our upbringing. Um, so, for example, I'd say my grandparents taught me the importance of, you know, respecting people as well as respecting someone, um, not only because of their job title or lack thereof. Um, what are those lessons that you would say you took from your grandparents? Uh, I would say definitely simplicity mm -hmm. and knowing that um, in, in any environment, for as long as there's good principles of life and values and morals, you can be fulfilled and have a happy life. So, for example, someone living in a shack can have more happiness than someone living in a multi-million rand uh, mansion. Yeah. So it's basically that just um, sticking to values principles of life in order to ensure a happy environment in any environment. Mm, definitely. Um, so would you say you're someone who also still lives, um, you know, simply and with simplicity? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm joking, but my core values and principles have, have not changed. Mm -hmm. But obviously, when you have resources to start enjoying some of the finer things in life, you really do want to do that, especially because I've got children. So, you know, I like to 
um, not spoil, but I like exposing my children to lots of, lots of, lots of different things. And mm -hmm. obviously that requires money and it takes you out of just living the simple basic life, you see. Yeah. But at my core, I enjoy, I, I'm a simple person. I enjoy simple things in life, mm -hmm. but the adventure bug has kicked in. So when the resources are available, I like to travel. I like to spoil myself now and then. I love nice clothes and bags and nails and lashes and the works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the works. But works. at my core, I'm, a, I'm really just a simple person. Mm. You know, I love that you, you're bringing that up, that, you know, you love exposing your children to different things because I also believe that that is necessary for them to also see the world um, and, and know what um, opportunities are out there for them. Yes, absolutely. And children nowadays, uh, uh, I don't. Uh, the manufacturer, you know, they come with, they come with their own little fine prints now. They're very inquisitive, and you know, as well as you know, they're exposed to the internet and TV. So they will ask you about snow and the beach and all of these things. So it's always nice when you can create that reality and experience for them, something that they've seen on TV or on the internet, they can actually live the experience. It's always a wonderful thing to, to, to experience that with your children. Mm. So I know um, when you were, I think around the age of 17, you lost your parents. Um, and, mm. you know, that was still like a critical age. Um, and um, what, so what motivated you, you know, to work to become the woman that you are now, as opposed to allowing life's events, you know, to blow the wind out of you? Well, my, when my, my father passed away when I was 13. So I had my mom for a few years until 17. And so I've, I remember what I was telling you about, about my grandparents instilling certain values and characteristics and principles that helped me a lot because at school I was always one that wanted to achieve mm. so anything that I find my hands anything that I put my hands on I like to do it to the best of my ability you know I like to leave residue if I'm doing something I like to leave a trademark so it just became about that my parents passed away uh, I'm in grade 11, I have to, I don't have parents, but I have to pass grade 11. After that, I have to pass matric and I want to go to varsity. Mm. So those principles really helped because they were already innate in me. Failure was not an option. Mm. It didn't exist in my mind. So I found means to get my desired outcome. And another thing is I was fleeing from poverty. So I didn't want to be poor. And the only way I can I, I I won't be poor is if I can find work to do and get paid for it. So it was a race from grade eleven to graduating or getting my a job that I know can pay my salary, that can give me shelter and give me a car. So that was my aim. Would you say that you're still running that race now or you feel like, um, you know, it's more of a marathon now? 
Yeah, I'm still running that way. It's a never-ending one, you know. <laughs> the pursuit is like they say the pursuit of happiness or the pursuit of money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I'm still running that. And now it feels more difficult than then because now, you know, there's children and, and there's kids and there's that, you know. So now you have to chase harder. Now you don't even have a choice. You know, you have to chase... Um, economic you know you have to chase resources so you always find yourself in a place where you are economically free that you are able to do the things that you want to do Mm. and I suspect I'll be on this race for or this marathon for quite a bit (laughs) (laughs) and now now with COVID it's just amped up so Mm. yeah so a part of, you know, your, your story and your marathon is that you were also part of the South African military or defense force. Um, can you just tell me how that experience was for you? Listen, I love the military, right? And I'm now during COVID in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, if I was still in the military, uh, the South African um, defense force really takes care of um you know of of the soldiers that are uh, that are there and you get taught a lot Mm. um humility being able to take instructions or commands Mm. uh respect for people in senior positions um that when you start something you have to complete so uh, the start and completion or execution of tasks so Mm. i really learned a lot it really, and also resilience, because we were put in situations where, for example, when we had to go train in the bush, that was like my worst. It's something that I'm not very athletic, number one. And I'm not, I love nature, like to watch it, but I don't want to be in it. So that experience was very difficult for me, being in the bush, sleeping in tents you know, having limited supply of water and food, but it's made me very resilient. And also um, being in the defense force sort of makes you less materialistic. Mm -hmm. So it goes back again to the simple things in life. You know, for as long as you know that you have a roof over your head, you can get from one place to another, you know, you become happy and content with your life there isn't really that much of a big red race for material success so mm. that's what I that, that's what I learned really in the SNDF Yo, I really love what you said there that you know I love that it, it's taught you how to live life um, simply within South Africa OTs have been involved in a number of you know legal matters um, the road accident fund being the greatest role for occupational therapists um, within a, a medical legal aspect. Um, so could you tell us what is medical legal? So in the context of occupational therapy, if you operate in the field of medical legal, uh, you are instructed by, by attorneys to act as an expert witness. So uh, sticking within your the occupational therapy practice framework, you then give... Um, you you have to uh, evaluate uh, the claimant and see how 
the injuries that they sustained, for example, in the accident, have impacted on their occupational performance areas. So work, leisure, ADL, and so forth. So you give your, your clinical expertise or your opinion as to uh, your, your evaluation findings must give opinion on that, on the claimant's level of functioning in all their occupational performance areas and how the injuries have impacted on those different areas. Mm. Um, so what qualifications would one need if they wanted to go into this field as an occupational therapist? Because I know you've got, you know, a certificate for, like I said, functional capacity evaluation, as well as, um, you know, the occupational health and safety, you, you trained in that as well. So you just, you need to be an occupational therapist. But now the question is not the qualification, is what renders one an expert in their profession? So that boils down to uh, clinical experience. So you have to have clinical experience of evaluation and treatment of patients, at least a minimum of five, five years. And, you know, trying to expose yourself to different areas like pediatrics, neuro, orthopedic. So you have to have years of clinical experience in evaluating and treating different patients. Uh, at least uh, uh, five years or at least three years, then get mentorship into medical legal practice because there are different uh, concepts that govern medical legal practice then. So how do you, you know, how do you formulate your report? What are joint minutes? How do you present yourself um, as an expert um, witness? Uh, knowing that you cannot be biased and you always need to give objective opinion. So for that, you really need to look into doing workshops that address particularly, let's say, um, report writing, uh, workshops that address uh, giving expert opinion or in court. So you have to look at industry-specific workshops or short courses that can give you the skills in order to navigate the legal system because it's a whole system on its own. You might be an expert occupational therapist, but you need to have certain understanding of the legal system and how, what your role is in the legal system as an expert witness. So that would obviously then require one to, to have um, some knowledge around um, the laws of our country and you know like for instance labor the labor relations act and on and that type of um, um information so so what i would advise someone that wants to get into medical legal practice uh, for example otasa uh, often advertises workshops in those areas and there's also samla the south african medical legal association that offers courses pertaining to um, medical legal work. And you can actually be registered, like for example, I'm, I'm on the register of medical legal practitioners with SAMLA. So that's uh, the, the point of departure is, it would be to gain clinical experience um, in different areas, also neuropediatrics, you know, psych and all of that. Uh, at least three years, then ensure that you 
you you know continuous professional development your cpds if you want to go into medical legal look for courses and workshops in those areas make sure that you are part of the professional body or, or tasa because that's where you will get all your information and if you're going into medical legal join associations like samla that deal particularly with that field of work then you should be able to navigate from there is know that you want to go into medical legal or were you passionate about something else <laughs> to be quite honest firstly when i went to study occupational therapy i had no idea what it was about <laughs> so i you know i didn't even know that the internet existed like mm. it was um i got a, a bursary from the defense force and the option was occupational therapy. So, I, you know, some it didn't even dawn on me that I can go to the hospital and find out. And so I waited for the first day in the class to actually hear in in the lecture room, my first year, to actually get to understand what occupational therapy is about. And I remember some of my classmates, you know, they would say, "No, my mother took me." Um, occupational therapy and this is what happened they had all these nice and wonderful stories yeah. <laughs> but then when I deciphered what it's about it was great to actually realize that the way my my, my makeup as a human being the way I am I'm actually engineered to to think like an occupational therapist. I've always thought like one. I've always been interested in mm -hmm. empowering people to uh, live their best lives. And although I didn't know that there's a, there's a science behind that, uh, occupational science, for me, I, I loved seeing people do well at school and wanting to help them how to make them better or... Um, you know, when we, if it's time for leisure activities or play activities, I always wanted to plan out what games we're going to play. So I always had the concept of constructive use of time. Um, so I was just blessed that, you know, it's a profession that I was born for because my mind naturally thinks like an occupational therapist mind in whatever, in whatever environment, whatever situation. So medical legal, to be quite honest, my motivation to get into medical legal was because um, I, I had been told that you can make a lot of money. So I was like, okay, I want to do that thing that can make make me make a lot of money. Yes. But when I got into medical legal work, I really, really, um, you know, just the intensity of you know, you always need to have factual information. You need to be well-researched. You need mm -hmm. to be able to give not just written evidence. And I love writing reports, but I also uh, love giving oral evidence in court. So it, it will, it's a very challenging field. There's high stakes. I mean, you're literally giving an opinion that will impact somebody else's life. Mm -hmm with their perhaps now they are disabled they are on a wheelchair or their injury and they are impaired you have to your advice literally contributes to what kind of 
life or future that person will have. So, so that's what I take my work very seriously because I understand that, you know, someone else's life and their future is in my hands. Definitely. And I think that's the one thing we we don't know um, because I know my friends and I always also, you know, have this um, conversation about medical legal, the, how serious this is and, and how critical it can be for some or, and how we can impact someone else's life, be it in, um, positively or negatively. Yes. And, and if you enter the field prematurely without mm-hmm. adequate uh, clinical background and knowledge and without adequate mentorship, it's, you can ruin your professional reputation very quickly. Mm. So it's really high stakes. Like it's a field that if you want to get into, you need to ensure that you've ticked all the boxes of preparing to operate in that field because the court is reliant on your opinion for, you know, for things that not only impact, um, the claimant, but it's it's taxpayers' money, it's fuel levy money. There's 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 a lot at stake, so you always need to ensure that you are a, a properly trained and well qualified expert witness with adequate. With if you don't have the experience, you must have you must gain adequate mentorship in the field before you enter. So in terms of um, mentorship, like you say, um, where can one seek for mentorship? Is there like a, a pro, um, somewhere where one can, you know, sign up or do you have to approach someone who is within the field, you know, individually and ask them if they would offer themselves um, as their mentor? So the best way to be mentored is to get work in the field. Mm-hmm. So once you know you've gotten your three years of clinical experience, um, you apply for work in the different, you know, in, with different private practices that do medical legal work. Mm. And obviously, when you present yourself, you, you will, you know, you will say that you don't have experience in the field, but you're willing to learn. But you must also, when you apply for work, make sure that you've done the you've done medical legal specific courses. I mean, there's one day, two day, three day courses. Mm. So you have at least some background of the system. Okay. And then in which sectors can, you know, occupational therapists provide these services within the medical legal field? Start with functional capacity evaluations predominantly deal with issues of incapacity and disability, incapacity to work on or so so that would be insurances and um you are to establish whether the person can still do their work or not in order for um, the insurer to establish whether they will pay out the disability cover or not. Uh, in workplaces, there's vocational rehab. So you do functional capacity evaluations to see if the person still has the capacity to do their work or reasonable accommodation or work adaptations must be applied. And then medical legal is a separate thing. So uh, it's what I've previously explained, but in the medical legal field, you can either, you know, uh, work as an, as a get work as an expert witness, but now there's also opportunity to become a medical mediator. Mm. So that's a, which, which is a new emerging um, field, field in 
in the medical legal um it's a it's an emerging um a practice in the medical legal field so you either be appointed as a, as a medical legal expert or as a medical mediator but that kind of thing we would need to have on another day <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, and I understand that you're also a medical mediator then? Yes, I am. So I'm accredited with conflicts dynam- conflict dynamics and also the UK-based Centre for Effective Dispute Resolution. Mm. So at present, uh, the work, uh, you, you know, the work that I, I'm now very passionate about is mediation. <laughs> But I still do my medical legal work as a as a OT um expert witness. Mm. So you know you you run a company um that's you know really successful. Um, what are the you know the the skills and the qualities that you look for when you you know you're seeking to employ a, a young occupational therapist? So, uh, definitely somebody that is hardworking and driven, someone that can take instruction and guidance, but also someone that can take initiative. Because if you've been doing, if you've created a system in your private practice and this is how it works, it's not often that you are able to adapt. So I always look for for people or therapists that come in and sort of bring something new meant something that I don't have or something that I you know it was an oversight for me so someone that takes initiative um someone for me I know that uh, you know from a labor law perspective it's not the right thing to say but in private practice you know I don't I don't have working hours because we were with tight deadline sometimes the a report is needed you only have a limited amount of time. You need to do it over the weekend. So, you know, I love working with people that prioritize and enjoy work. I'm not saying um, you can't have a life because you've got family, you've got kids, you've got this and that, but you need to understand that um, court deadlines are court deadlines, whether it's Christmas or it's Easter weekend or it's whenever, if uh, a report needs to be filed at a certain amount of time, that needs to happen. Mm. Someone and who work under pressure. So someone who works well under pressure as well. Wow. Um, that actually brings me to my next question, which is what are the sacrifices that you've had to make, you know, as, a, as an upcoming entrepreneur and now that you know you are the successful businesswoman? Definitely time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know, the blessing in 2020 with COVID is that, you know, I, I had more time, not really socialize with people, but to plan and do things that I wouldn't ordinarily do if it was a normal year. So, you know, I took my kids away more. Uh, I was with family more or I was with particular friends more. I, I actually had a social life. <laughs> My auntie says I had too much of a social life. <laughs> <laughs> time is definitely one. And also 
uh, your finances. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because uh, your in order for your you to sustain your life, your finances need to pri- prioritize your practice. So whatever money you get first, it needs to take care of the business first before you. So those are the two things that I don't have the luxury of splurging Mm. because to think of the business, my employees, I'm like locked in line. Yeah. And I think that's also one of the the most petrifying things that, you know, other people's lives, um, you are, you know, in control of that because now you need to ensure that they get paid first um, because they also have their own families to take care of. You know, I would sometimes say to the people or people I work with or my employees that, you know, there's a misconception that uh, when you work for someone with a business, like you work for them, it's actually the way around, you know, business owners work to make a salary for their employees. So yeah. to go out, get the work, make sure the system's in place, make sure that at the end of the month, there is actually money to allocate for your salary. So it's actually vice versa. Bosses are the servants in actual fact. You see, I mean, this during this COVID time, it's been very challenging because there has been minimal to no income for businesses and private practices. People had to be retrenched or on temporary layoff. So that is also very, you need to be, um, it's emotionally very difficult to deal with things like that. But again, the business is a selfish entity. If it needs to shed people or other things in order to survive, that's what needs to happen. Because at least if you take care of the business, maybe post-pandemic, things are fine. The business is still there to take back those employees you understand but going through all those um emotions and uh, it's it's quite a lot and you know when you're running a business they tend to say that you shouldn't really um have too many emotions with regards to the things that occur within your business but it's very difficult when you are working with people and, you know, you know that that person needs that salary and now they need to be laid off because of, you know, something like COVID-19. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, and for me particularly, it was very difficult because my first calling to be a therapist, but my second calling, I believe, and I've always been proud of, is being able to hire people that I know are breadwinners and come from disadvantaged backgrounds. So that's always been my pride and joy that I'm able to employ somebody that's looking after a family or someone that was previously disadvantaged. So when that thing gets taken away, you know, you sort of have to come to the realization that at the end of the day, you are not in control, you know. Um, uh, There's some things that you literally have no control over and you have to surrender to the process. And in most cases, you know, sometimes when you let go of people, they find greater things or they become innovative or they they achieve greater. 
So I always trust in the process, even when it's difficult. So even though retrenching people was very difficult for me because it took away, I felt like it took away my purpose. You know, the one thing, you know, when they say, <laughs> when I go to heaven, I can say, ah, but God, I, I employed so many people. Like, this is my thing, you know? It mm-hmm. took away a lot from me. Um, so to have to redefine that um, I've got more to offer to people than just jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm also evolving and let's say it again, going back to simplicity. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, and you know, so what you were saying about, you know, people become innovative and I feel like that's what, um, a number of people um, became when uh, due to you know the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, a lot of people came out with new business ideas, um, and I think that really af- the the pandemic also afforded people to sort of become more independent and to go back and to you know find um these business um opportunities that they could start. Yeah, and also to become self reliant to know that yeah my future is in my hands. I have to do something about my life as an individual because now we are all in that place even business owners you are now back to okay what do i need to do to survive this period economically yeah. how important is it um or would you say it is to build relations to ensure you know, you know the success of your business that's actually <laughs> Mm, you know, there's all, it's so funny, you know, when I was studying in business, you know, networking and attending seminars and all of this, it was such a big thing for me. <laughs> but that's not actually where relationships are made, you know. Um, mm. the, the, the one formula to business, okay, it, it, it's like, I mean, it, it, it's, as it is, you have a business, you need to conceptualize it, then you need to market and sell your what you have to offer. Then if someone gives you the opportunity, um, if someone refers you or gives you work, do your best at it. So you prove yourself first. So I, that's how I operate. I prove myself as a therapist first. Then one you can see that I'm competent with my work and I'm, and I provide good quality work. Then I form the relationship. So I don't put the relationship before the work. So for instance, if I were to go to a seminar now, how would I maybe prove myself? Um, because obviously this person's meeting me for the first time and I'd maybe want to work with them in future. Mm, you know, I must be honest, my work didn't, my referrals often didn't come from people I met at seminars. <laughs> mm. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it's word of mouth of someone that ex- mm. has experienced um, uh, or that, I, that I've provided a service to. And... So the seminars were more for me to gain motivation and 
knowledge around tax issues, how to market yourself. So I, I like seminars that, um, that, that teach you a skill in business. So, or, or, or important things like legal, legal related things, uh, HR, marketing, sales, taxes, right? But networking, let's exchange business cards. That, is, that hasn't worked for me because I have your business card, then I call you. Can we have a meeting? I don't know. Some people might have a different experience, but my, my referrals hardly ever come from because I met you somewhere having networked. No. It's because somebody ha has, you have heard that I provide a particular service and people were happy with it and then you come. Then we become friends after I've made sure that you are happy with the service that I've provided. Well, friends is, a, is, a, is not a good term, but I maintain good relationships with, um, with my clients. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is also very important. And I, I also believe in word of mouth because that really can either make or break your business as well. Yeah. And your, just your general interaction with people, you know, we like to detach humanity from work. But if someone has met you at Woolworths, if some if someone has met you at Woolworths and then they've heard that now you are a therapist and you get a referral, you don't want them to when they walk into the practice and be like, oh, it's you, you know? So you always have to be aware yes. of what kind of person you are to others in work settings and outside of work settings because you just never know when you will encounter that person um, in a work environment. Mm. So, Lisejo, you know, you have a number of um, hats on, or, or crowns that you wear, and one of those is obviously you being uh, the Vice President of the Occupational Therapy Association of South Africa. What is the role that you play within um, this um, platform? So I, I, I'm vice president, PR, um, marketing, no, PR, communications and advocacy. So um, everything that needs to be communicated about the profession in South Africa, uh, how, how, how society and other professionals view um, the profession, um, uh, creating awareness about the profession and also ensuring net, networking among occupational therapists. So it's, uh, my role is predominantly to look after the brand occupational therapy. Um, and what is the role of, you know, OTASA within our occupational therapy field? So, uh, so OTASA is, um, is, is the body that um, the government or the, or anybody, or anybody, even the world can go to, to, for, to inquire or for anything related to occupational therapy in SA. So policy development, um, strategic decisions around in the health sector around 
for example, rehabilitation or any occupational therapy services. And also OSTAS is there to support occupational therapists in both private, private and public sector, uh, how to navigate the different areas. You know, exactly like what we're talking about, medical, legal, um, if you want to get into private practice, if you are part of the network of OTASA, you will have access to um, different workshops, um, different therapists in the field, applying for work or advertising, uh, anything. So you will have access to that um, network. And then also uh, OTASA um, is aligned or affiliated to the Medical Protection um, Society. So you can um, get your MPS, your medical protection, through OTASA as well at a discounted rate. And also... Uh, you become you automatically become a member of WFIT, so the World Federation of Occupational Therapists, if you are an OTASA member. Wow! So I definitely encourage occupational therapists to become members. Absolutely, there is. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's actually your responsibility as a therapist to make sure that you are a member of your of your national. Um, of, of your national profession, your, your national representation, we, we, your national representation of your profession, which is OTASA. So if you are a member, you are able to influence decisions that are made about the profession in the country. You are able to be part of the conversation to improve standards of practice in the different fields. So if you engage, you are also able to influence the direction that the profession takes in the country. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, how would you say, um, you know, occupational therapists have contributed positively towards our South African economy? So in various, uh, first and foremost is um, our society, I mean, there is great need for, for assist, assisting of people living with disability, right? So inclusion, diversity, particularly around disability. Occupational therapists have been very instrumental to ensure that um, people with disabilities are given equal opportunities and also are given the necessary medical and rehabilitation um, services available, whether you are in communities or in rural communities or in urban areas. Another way is that, I mean, um, when human beings encounter illness or injury, they need to get back into um, work. And having productive workers always contributes to the well being of organizations. Uh, state entities and the economy as a whole. So the mere fact that there are occupational therapists that have been trained to ensure that even post illness or post um, in condition or post injury, people can go back into their roles as workers. Hmm. Um, I want to thank you so much again, Lisa, for coming onto my podcast. 
Um, but before I let you go, I have a segment that I call the five fire questions. Um, so you either answer with one word or a okay. sentence. Okay, you've listened to the message and all the OT lessons. You're running out of seconds. It's time for the final segment. This is a minor reminder of what you're all about to witness. Rapid fire with Kanye. Welcome to five fire questions. Five fire questions. Okay, so the mantra I live by is. Um, okay, I'm going to need you to ask me that again because I want to answer it like snap, snap. <laughs> <laughs> the mantra I live by is. Work makes the heart grow fonder. Mm. Um, business has taught me. Everything always changes. Anytime. The worst advice I've received is? Networking will get you work. Oh. <laughs> um, number four, being an OT has taught me. It's important for every human being to live a purposeful life so that they can reach their full potential on this earth. And the final question is, what can we expect from you in 2021? Oh, uh, Lisa aims to be um, a very effective um, mediator. Uh, I want to expand this new skill that I've acquired as a mediator and do more work in that area. So I'm excited that 20, by the end of 2021, I should have um, been involved in a number of mediations and been successful at it. Well, I wish you all of the best with everything that you'll be endeavoring on within the year 2021 and obviously your future endeavors as well. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being a part of the OT Adventures Thank podcast. you, Tanya. And I want to say to you, well, I can't wait to see what kind of occupational therapist you're going to be in five years. I think you're going to be amazing. <laughs> Thank you, you are so much. exactly the kind of um, people we need in the profession. And I want to encourage you to serve the profession, get involved with OTASA. We need new energy, new ideas. And I'm looking forward to see how you continue to develop as an occupational therapist. I'm certainly looking forward to this new adventure as a newly qualified occupational therapist. Yes, so best believe I'll be watching you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, do head on over to our social media pages at The Adventures of OT on Instagram and give us a follow. And head on over to our Facebook page at 
The Adventures of OT and follow us there too. Now, if you believe you have three friends who may enjoy this podcast, do share it with them too. And we really love your engagement on our DMs, so please continue to do so. Now that is it from me, your host, Casey Folds. Until next time.